Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's Interview Podcast. Well, 2012 is finished, and I thought we would start something that uh, uh, will pr- turn into an annual affair. We're going to talk about the best shows in Chicago theater this year. And I thought in order to do that, rather than just have them be my picks, I thought I'd bring in veteran theater critic and reviewer Larry Baumer. Hello, Larry. Hello. Larry. Tell us about your background. I know you've been reviewing for a couple of years. Oh, yeah. Well, currently I'm uh, writing for a lot of websites, uh, Chicago Theater Beat uh, out of Chicago, as well as Chicago Stage Standard, formerly uh, Steadstyle Chicago, uh, and uh, also Stage and Cinema, which is straight out of Los Angeles, also plays international periodical out of London, CurtainUp.com out of New York, and I think that's the current that's the current lineup of outlets for my writing. And over the years, you I understand you started in 1975. Yeah, you? yeah. So it's been 32 years. Yeah, for the Chicago Illini, and in between there was um, Gay Life and uh, Chicago Free Press and the Reader and the Chicago Tribune. Yeah, you reviewed Among the reader for a lot of years. Right? Oh, yes, yes. About some 85 until just recently. Uh-huh. Okay. And uh, before that, you've also written at least six plays that I found. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Is that true? Yes, I've written uh, three plays produced by Organic Theater, Poe, Jonathan Wilde, and Gulliver's Last Travels, and quite a few for... Lionheart Peter. A lot of people have told me I have not seen any of your plays because they haven't been up in a while. Uh, no, quite they, a while. Nin- Nineteen ninety-three. Gulliver's uh, last trails is that travels. It? Travels uh-huh. was really terrific. Well, thank you. Steve Scott directed it. It didn't have much of a budget, but we we uh, impressed audiences, I think, with what we had to offer. It was a labor of love to Jonathan Swift. Uh, J- Jim Belushi was there, among others, and who knows. Uh, it may have a life of its own. Well, you know, with all the new productions that we see in town, particularly a lot of them uh, are uh, kind of weak. I think it's time we bring some of your plays back. Oh, well. Any possibilities? I, when I blow my own horn, I sound all the wrong notes. So <laughs> I will have to be commandeered. I have to be shanghaied and forced. <laughs> well, folks, contact, contact Larry yeah. if, you, if okay. you're looking for something because. Uh, when you realize how much he knows about theater, I mean, you've got what? You've reviewed over 4,500, 5,000 plays? Oh, at least, at yeah. At least. Mm-hmm. I, no you told me one time you. you had over 4,000 on the internet. Oh, yeah, I lost count after a while. That, and, and many more since then. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, okay. Well, what advice would you give to young reviewers? I always ask that question very often. Okay. Every well, uh, it is a labor of love, and if you don't like theater to start with, it's not worth writing about, and, and whatever you like will, will be poisoned at the well. But assuming you love theater, then you are privileged as a critic to be part of the creative process that the playwright began when he started the script, and you are completing by hopefully embracing what he tried to do, understanding the terms of uh, conditions of of his own creativity and artistry, and and then adding your own judgment to it, so you can 
perpetuate and promote uh, what what he meant when it's good or uh, help him to remedy it when it's bad. But most of all, your commitment is to your readers to warn them or encourage them about something exciting or something deplorable. So you think it's a balance between critiquing the art and being a consumer advocate and telling people is it worth their time and money. Yes, exactly. And and on the whole, you have to want the show to succeed. It, it's always a blind date when you see a show, and you hope it'll go well. And you go there with you should go there with the expectation of it being yes. good. Yes, there are too many critics who uh, develop a notoriety instead of uh, credibility by uh, being famous for slicing and dicing and taking no prisoners. And I, they don't last long; they burn out because it's clear they don't really love the art. They're just looking for a chance to assassinate the author or to prove that they're a writer. Yeah, they could have done better. That's, or they're yeah. or they're failed actors yeah. or performers. Well, and when I take actors to to see shows, I've got to discount a lot of what they say because if, if they really hate a performance, it could be a kind of left-handed homage. To, uh, because then they have to justify how much better they would have done it. So, you know that's true. Uh, I found in taking actors to shows, they are the toughest audience, <laughs> and and some of them just have a high standard, but others, again, I think there's a little bit of. Uh, so that's why I never ask them, and maybe I should. Uh, did they audition for the show that we're taking them oh, to? Oh, yeah. Well, you never know. They, they're not about to disclose that. Yeah, that, that's uh, true. That, that, that's but really... it is true. Often they have, uh, and uh, and that and that can be useful information because it, uh, because then that, that you might be privy to what the director was after and what he wasn't uh, if you can. Listen between the lines to what they're saying. What about the, the trap that I've seen some reviewers get into uh, about uh, comparing one show, one production of a show with, with another production? I, I think that's inherently uh, a problematic, don't it, you? It is, it is. Your memory can, can master you, overmaster your, your judgment. You, you can, um, I don't know, uh, glow and, and, and exude over shows you saw 20 years before when their, their real value was their freshness then was that you'd never seen the play before and not necessarily the production you have to be careful memory can play tricks on you even i think in the same run of yeah. the show oh yeah mm-hmm. so that uh, mm-hmm. uh that I, but our job is to not compare it or to or uh say it isn't as good as his earlier work or so forth. it's right. to judge the production that we saw that night yes and Hopefully by the standards it's set for itself. So I find it very valuable to read press releases and, and director's notes and playwright's notes to see what he had in mind, particularly if it seems to have all gone wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah that does make sense. And I, I uh, when I walk, you know, my present philosophy is to not know too much about it. Mm-hmm. So I can go in there as fresh as I can. So I, I don't bring baggage to it, and I try right. not to. Even if I've seen, yeah. you know, Glass Menagerie the tenth uh, time, right. uh, I I, I want to be open to new ideas. And recently, I just was mm-hmm. in a, in a production. Or if it's a play you really hate, no production's going to save it, so you recuse yourself from reviewing it. Yeah, that's what I that's what I've tried to do. Or because I've covered a group, there's a, that's an overlap with. If you cover a theater company, let's say Court Theater uses mm-hmm. his mm-hmm. example, I'm going to see everything Court does, mm-hmm. knowing that there's a couple of them may not, you know, 
may not be my cup of tea, then I really become a consumer advocate. And I might say up front, I didn't, I, I never liked this play, but sometimes I've given recommendations to shows that I personally didn't like because the production values were so strong. Yeah, that's that's very flexible and, and resilient and honest. And I think that's what credibility is based on. Uh, you get a reputation as as someone with an open mind, open eyes, and open heart to what you're seeing, and you're willing uh, to be persuaded. We've all experienced shows that we saw a second time and wondered what what possessed us the first time to to either love it or loathe it. So it keeps you humble. <laughs> That's true, and I and I think our tastes mature. I remember the first couple of times seeing Stephen Sondheim shows. I just didn't get them. I wasn't ready for them. And, mm-hmm. But the second or third time around, I finally got what he was at. Now I, you know, I'm a big fan. Slow and steady wins the race, right? <laughs> That's true. That's true. But some shows just do not improve uh, upon uh, uh, subsequent productions. They're just damned from the start. I mean, what? Yeah. I, I, How true that is. <laughs> How true that is. Yeah. You can't make a watch out of a beer can yeah, as an old. An old or, bar room saying, or silk purse out of a sow's ear, right? Yeah, uh huh. And, uh, and I noticed recently, well, I've noticed it for a long time, uh, that you and I have something in common, but you're stronger than I am in the sense of being a traditionalist, a Shakespeare. Oh, yeah, and and like Moliere, you recently yes. didn't like the show because yes. it, it yes. wasn't, uh, it was a travesty to Moliere, yes. you thought. Yes. Talk to us about that. Well, that's interesting because a fellow critic, I won't name him, attacked me for my pan of the book of lies at, uh, uh no, School for Lies. School for Lies. I'm thinking of another play. And when you hate a play, it's hard to remember the name. <laughs> yes, on purpose, exactly. At Chicago Shakespeare Theater. And he said it didn't matter that whether an audience knew Moliere or not. And, and I responded that you, you, you can't, uh, you can't protect an audience's ignorance. That's not what a, a critic is, is for. You have to enlighten them. And and any play that chooses to be adapted from a classic like The Misanthrope by Moliere had better rise to the occasion, but this one sank so low into bottom-feeding scumbag uh, material. You also kind of attack when they do avant-garde, over-the-top Shakespeare. Oh, yes, that that's true too. Though Shakespeare can take a licking and keep on ticking, uh, but um, there are limits to it. And clearly, you, if you don't trust the material, even as you parody it or as you update it, uh, it's going to bite you back. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Hamlet doesn't work on motorcycles, <laughs> right? Or or some of the some of the strange. What what is the strangest uh, version of Shakespeare you've seen? Oh God, I. I be hard to say. Uh, um, I mean, I I saw I saw a tempest that was so awful. I walked out on it. It was strange in that it was just so amateurish. It was by by um, what was it called? Firstborn Productions. I called it Stillborn Productions. <laughs> and and I took a friend who'd never seen the Tempest before, and I walked out because I didn't want him to see any more of the Tempest. I didn't I didn't want him to. To, you never want to see it again. It because you know, oh, because was... in general, we've mm-hmm. all walked out of at least mm-hmm. one. Yeah, I walked out of one where the guy was urinating on the stage, mm-hmm. and that was just over. Oh, yeah. That was not a pretty situation. My uh, immediate editor, 
uh, this was a reader review, wanted the review uh, uh, spiked, even though I had mentioned that I'd walked out. You know, that was that was part of my argument. This play was really unwatchable. Um, and but he wanted he wanted the review censored, uh, in as much as as throwing it out would 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 do that. But he was he was overridden by a superior editor, and the review Good. appeared. Yeah, that's a we have a, a amendments to the Constitution that deals with that. <laughs> but uh, in general, though, uh, I think you'd agree with me that it, that it is unethical for a reviewer to walk out on a show. Yes, uh, you have to really really uh, mean it. And you have to admit it, yeah. And I did in mine, and and mm-hmm. I, I remember the uh, the same show. Hetty Weiss did that. She walked out too and said it in her mm-hmm. review. Uh, but in general, uh, and I have seen reviewers walk out on terrific shows, particularly dramas where sometimes Act One doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's a setup right. for the for the payoff yeah. of Act Two in the story. But there are other things you can do besides walking out. Oh, I, I suggest this for audience members. I've written articles about. Bringing booing back at, at sport, you, you can tell that the fans who really care at sports uh, um, matches, whatever baseball games, because they're willing to boo their own team as well as the uh, opponents. They care about. It. I I don't know why theater should necessarily be immune to that. Actors, uh, rather, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, um, Glibly expect to be applauded, whatever they do, and get a standing ovation on yeah, opening yeah, night exactly. is almost required, which I think exactly. is ridiculous. But if they knew they'd be booed, I think there it might be more interesting. I'm not talking about bread and circuses here. And, and don't they hiss them. in Europe? <laughs> Somebody tell me in in London. I don't know if that's in the old days or what, but they used to hiss when they hated. Yeah, and, they, and in vaudeville they throw can't they throw rotten fruit too. I mean, if they didn't to- totally hate you, it would be fresh fruit, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if they just didn't like a lot of it. The they'd dog didn't jump enough, right? Yeah, they'd or the jokes the, were a little corny. They'd save the garbage for the, for the uh, really loathsome things. I've often wished I had some of that uh, in my uh, uh, reviewer kit, my, my opening night press kit. Yeah, <laughs> and that, that's another thing uh, that I've noticed with, with um, uh, some of the theater companies. They're not telling enough of the story in the press kit, which is a help. Oh, yes. Yes, well, now everything's on disc, too. So uh, it's more trouble than it's worth sometimes accessing information. I could not believe for Book of Mormon, uh, on a, the programs for that show do not list the songs in the show. That is absolutely that's a, that's inexcusable. A cl- but to me, that's a hint. Oh, well, I'm not going to get into that. But we'll I think that everybody, for the money they're paying, deserves to know what the songs are, when they come, and who sings them. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and it, it's in, I mean, what is it, a half a page? Mm-hmm. I mean, come on. How, about how expensive can it be? Exactly. Yeah. All right, let's get to okay. it. Okay. Or, let's go, from, let's go from 10 down to 1, okay? All right. Can we do, you kind of a... Uh, like Letterman or isn't it Letterman? Whoever whoever does that on on late night talk. Um, uh-huh. So what's your number ten show? So you mean from from the bottom up, from yeah. the least to yeah. the most, yeah. or the big? Okay, yeah, ten. Well, I actually not sure I rated them that okay. quite that way, well, but uh, but because well. I I thought if they're the top ten, they can hold their own probably with each other, considering how many All more. Right, I saw. Any any well, if they're random, then why not just go from 
from the bottom to the oh, top well, on your list. I could also go up by one that hasn't been on other people's lists, uh, like Eastland at Looking Glass. It's the other show that uh, Metamorphoses by Looking Glass that um, okay. the other critics seem to have hit. All right, well, but let's start I off didn't. with... Uh-huh. Take a look. Because it had been done before, for one day. But yeah, Eastland had not. And that's I right. thought it really did so you thought Eastland was your story. Yeah. I yeah, Eastland was was on one of my runner-ups, oh, uh, but okay. it was a terrific show. Was, my number ten was uh-huh. Oper- Operetta's Greatest Hits. Oh, that was lovely, yeah, wasn't it? At a beautiful place too, yeah, the Nickel Concert that, Hall. Yeah, that in concert Evanston. hall in Evanston, yeah. and seeing some of our our top equity talent uh, sing mm-hmm. the songbook of the great operettas. A stunning showcase for some wonderful performers. Yes. Uh, what's next on your list? Okay, um, uh, Sunday in the Park. Uh, the uh, revival, Chicago Shakespeare Theater, they'd previously done it upstairs in the constricted studio right. space, and they, in fact, had to s- split the Seurat painting in half, so audiences saw only one side of each. Yeah, I love that production, but I hated the setting. You're right. Yeah, but this one, Gary Griffin had an incredible budget, and as always, the, the best performers in town want to work for him because he is a singer, dancer, uh, actors, director. He sure is. It's uh, it's number seven on my list. Okay. My number nine is Faith Healer, or the, uh-huh. the remount of the original show from seventeen years ago. I remember that. That's at the Den Theater. Mm-hmm. That that is that's still running, and I Cy highly recommend. Osborne, it. Liam Mortensen, and Brad Armacost yeah. still doing it. Yeah. And I get a kick. I was kidding Brad before the show. I says, "I wonder how many Guinnesses you're going to drink." So of course. <laughs> I had to count them, and I think the audience did just the way he had. In his 42-minute monologue, he drank three pints of Guinness Stout. Good for him. And he, and he didn't flub a line. I'd love to see who's afraid of Virginia Woolf where they're really drinking. They wouldn't be able to finish. That's that's true. Okay, what's next on your list? And then, um, looking at my, as my cell phone keeps going dark here, um, the Ice Van Cometh, uh, I think that's yeah, it's number one on my list. Oh, okay. Yeah. Goodman Theater and a tour de force. Three hours of pile driving, pulverizing revelations and confessions uh, about the danger of believing in the future, uh, uh, which, of course, O'Neill thinks is just what sustains us. So uh, it's interesting how he undermines his lead character, who is trying to destroy all the um, pipe dreams of of these um, drifters in this bar uh, and ends up uh, proving that he's already been destroyed. Yeah, and what a great cast. Oh, Not yes. only the Nathan Lane and, and Brian Doherty, uh, Donnie, but, but uh-huh. uh, an A-list on almost every great character actor yes, in Chicago. Yes. yes, and monumental sets worthy of, of the uh, expansive uh, nature of the of this show it may make its point a little too often in the course of of those three hours but it's got a great message yeah it's one of the great pieces of theater all right moving along mm-hmm. uh next one on my list is long day's journey into night oh at- uh-huh i saw that production it did didn't quite make my list because I thought it was it was dominated by the mother of more than it she was awesome yeah she was terrific but I liked it when I see that show I like to see it as a real titanic battle of wills among all four of these tyrones uh, who are such willful uh, d- self-destructive larger than life survivors and and cannibals too in some ways of each other O'Neill's had a good year 
Yes, very good. Yeah, he should, I'm sure he's not complaining. Uh-huh. I, I hope not. No. If he is, I want to interview him. <laughs> okay, moving along. Uh, next on my list is, well, Sunday in the Park with George. What's next on your list? We're Rain about Maker. halfway through. I, I love the Boho Theater production of Rainmaker. For, for some really strange reasons. One, they put the audience on the stage. They sacrificed all the seats in the house in order to create the intimacy that that play requires. And and they more than repaid our uh, our close focus with some really uh, terrific, heartfelt, committed performances from all of them. I agree. And uh, let me add that that when I talked to some of the people from from Boho, I, I congratulated them on having the hot spot mm-hmm. to give up at least thirty. I, yeah. I counted fifty two seats mm-hmm. out of ninety nine mm-hmm. to give up that revenue mm-hmm. to create mm-hmm. art. And, and to bring us into it, literally. Yeah. yeah. They said they, they if if they didn't do that, they weren't going to do the show. Oh, that, really? That they felt huh. their concept worked had to be that way. Very good. Well, well, they made the rain come. <laughs> yes, they did. And from what I understand, they did they did fine with it. You know, they didn't make a lot of money, but they. Uh-huh. they did all right. Well, that's Chicago theater for you. Yeah. It's plucky and it's not greedy. What's next on your list? Uh, next is Freud's last session, which had two uh, stagings, uh, one with uh, some uh, outsiders who had been in the show before, and then an all-Chicago staging uh, with uh, Mike Nussbaum and Cody. Uh, oh, I'm, dr- I'm drawing a blank. I, I'll, I'll uh, get to it, yeah. Oh, okay. But you, it's it's hard not to remember Mike Nussbaum. Oh, yeah. Who, uh, yeah, I believe it's... Today, the tw- is the 29th? Yeah, today's the 29th. This is his 89th oh, birthday. Wow. Happy birthday, How Mike. How convenient that we brought him up then. Yeah. Right? Exactly. He is a trooper. Yeah. Well, know. I have. I definitely am going to do a podcast next mm-hmm. year on this date. I mean, 90 yeah. years old. Wow. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I hope he makes it to 100. Freud's last session was a very rich play. Uh, between Freud and C.S. Lewis, a real play of ideas, a meeting of the minds, and it was never boring, and it's 90 minutes, and it was beautifully staged. And 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 for a commercial theater like the Mercury, it was quite a nice choice to take this very cerebral, some would say talky play, and, and make it work. I don't know how well it did. but It did very well oh, from, from uh, talking to Walter Stearns. Uh, they said it didn't. It, you know, they extended it a couple of times. Oh. And, uh, you know, it proves that good theater and good ideas, there's still an audience for mm-hmm. it. Exactly. Uh-huh. What's next on your Okay, list? next is Hit the Wall by the Inconvenience at Steppenwolf Garage, one of the most exciting plays I've ever seen. Uh, tell me about that. I don't think I saw that. It was about the Stonewall Riots, and it recreated the riots as seen from participants in it uh, in all of its... Uh, Freewheeling frenzy, and and it was just uh, no holds barred. Typical Chicago uh, theater, and it really earned the title "Hit the Wall," the Stone Wall, because it was a, it was about everybody involved with it. The cops who were harassing the drag queens who created this 1969 um, uh, Alamo for the gay movement uh, that uh, that uh, uh, date for all all the progress from 1969 for them. Yeah, that's true. So is that that strong? Yeah, you were present at the creation, and it, wow, it was very kinetic and in your face. <laughs> All right, next on my list is is a play that I'm a little partial to, but 
Uh, it's Hank Williams, The Lost Highway. Oh, yes. My friend Peter Royal played Hank Williams, yes. who's a, a lot of people know yeah. is a good friend of mine. But still, uh, the reaction of audiences and and uh, most of the reviewers in town that saw the show. And then he, you know, he then uh, was cast in Cincinnati, just finished the run there, an equity run of the show uh, in Cincinnati, where he was nominated for, oh, for uh-huh. an award. Uh-huh. He won't know until spring if he got it or oh, not for a theater award in Cincinnati. So, but. Uh, Hank Williams' Lost Highway is definitely worth seeing. Well, it's interesting because my next one is somewhat similar. Black Pearl Sings at Northlight, which is about uh, the uh, one of the great uh, reclamation efforts by Franklin Roosevelt's New Deal was to find out the sources of folk songs. And Black Pearl was interviewed in, in jail and remembered many of the songs going back to slavery days. And uh, the performances there were absolutely splendid. Felicia Field. And, uh, uh, being Black Pearl, but everybody—that was that was a discovery. Yes, it was. Uh, uh, that didn't make my list, but it was sure yeah. great. Well, uh, and, and the Hank Williams might have made my list too. That, 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 well, we're, was we're, really good. We decided we had to cut it at ten, otherwise yeah, the list gets too long. Yes, right, right. Uh-huh. Uh, next on my list is Showboat, the uh, the Lyric Opera's production oh, of Showboat. I adore that show. That maybe I, I that could have made my list too. They they did it very well, and beautiful sets, great casting. There was a lot of controversy about that. A lot of opera purists I know don't like lyric opera, so supposedly condescending to do musical theater. Yeah, but you know that's their ninth show, and this year it's they're going to be their tenth show. They're doing yeah, Oklahoma it, it, with Gary Griffin. You know that. It's so optional. why yeah, not right. have a great right. theater like that sit dark in the summer? Exactly, and. It, and it, a show that can never be done too often, uh, and isn't done often enough, obviously, uh, and and it will lure people in because not everybody can can suddenly spring into opera, uh, and music, operetta and musical comedies are are uh, stepping stones. And really, Showboat is the last great operetta in a lot of <laughs> yes. people's list, you know. Yes, and also the first great musical comedy because it changed. The rules, uh, 1927, for what works and what doesn't. The songs have to come out of the story. They're, they're not just thrust in to give somebody a turn. Right. That, that was credited to Oklahoma, but it was really oh, started. Yeah. Right. Oklahoma reconfirmed it. Yeah. It started with Showboat, and it also started with the Princess musicals. Yes. Yes. And, and Gershwin. Yeah. The Princess Theater musicals. Right. All right. What's next on your list? Um, it is uh, You Never Can Tell, which to me was a real uh, happy, uh, serendipitous evening. It's uh, uh, a lesser-known play by George Bernard Shaw, an early play, and a very happy, optimistic play. It's from his plays Pleasant series, and Remy Bumpo just thrives on this kind of material. They really are uh, an old-school uh, company that, uh, under Nick Sands, have done terrific work and really go for craftsmanship and the performances. They get it right from start to finish with casting all the way to all the tender, loving care. They had a bad season last year under an unfortunate artistic director, but now they're back on their own in the, sure are, in the yeah. spirit of Bonin, James Bonin, their, their founder. Uh-huh. Yes, okay. And uh, on my list, we're getting near the top, War Horse. Yeah. Oh, yes, well, that could have made it too. I we we have very little disagreement so far about any of them. Warhorse was a tour de force, uh, uh, a puppetry and 
pageantry and video everything. and to, to do on stage to have the puppets of the horse puppets after Eddie said it right she said after the first few seconds you don't see the puppets you just see the horse oh that's true that doesn't really happen with Lion King I think you're always aware that there are human beings impersonating these masks but the uh, the two horses and even the, the little goose had real stage presence and had lives of their own. Yeah, they mm-hmm. sure did. Mm-hmm. And uh, my last one is Angels in America, both parts that Court Theater oh. did. Oh, okay. I'm afraid I didn't see it. Uh, but uh, it's not because I don't like the play. It's it actually because I like it too much. And I did. I guess I didn't want to spoil my memories of past productions. It has been a great year. And, folks, this is Tom Williams. Thanks for listening. And remember, go see a bunch of plays in 2013. Thanks for listening.